This is Chris Martin, and me and my buddy Kevin O'Connor, a.k.a. Kevin O'Everything, host an NBA podcast called The Mismatch. They call it The Mismatch because I'm awesome and Kevin is a gigantic nerd. No, no, that's not why at all, Chris. They call it The Mismatch because I have a brain and you're a loudmouth bozo. Good grief. (laughs) Anyway, listen to our amazing NBA podcast, The Mismatch. Or don't. We really don't care. We're probably going to win a million awards either way. <laughs> Chris, we do care. So don't say that. Please subscribe and listen to The Mismatch only on Spotify. Did you really call me a bozo? <laughs> it's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. The second half of the NBA season is here, and you can bet on the action with an assist from FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and Bet Live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer. Is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit theringer.com slash RG to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit theringer.com slash RG. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's roll, baby. Welcome in. It is a Sunday edition of New York, New York with yours truly, JJ Johnson-Stremski, right here on the Ringer Podcast Network and pretty glorious Sunday of sports. Maybe not glorious as far as results are concerned, but the idea that on a Sunday in June, I could start from Sunday at 1130 until The evening hours with Mets Dodgers. The finals are going on right now as we speak. We wanted to get this bad boy up so you have it as soon as possible. Great day all around. Literally on the couch, living life, watching sports, doing what we do here in New York. Now, tough one for the Rangers in game three. Everything was setting up beautifully for the Rangers to go and take a commanding three to nothing lead. They scored two goals on the power play. You get another snipe from Mika Zibanejad. You get Chris Kreider as our main man, Timmy Massapequa, told you on Friday, doing the dirty work, getting a power play goal right around the net. 2 nothing. you're flying high as a Ranger fan. But you had to know a Tampa team that won two Stanley Cups in a row, a Tampa team that before Friday night hadn't lost back-to-back games in a postseason in like 18 or 19 tries, was going to show you some serious pride and was going to have a moment. Like, I kept waiting for this to happen. And in many ways, I think Vegas 
kind of kept waiting for this to happen because Vegas installed Tampa Bay today as a minus 180 favorite. They expected that to be the case. And the minute Truba, boom, power play, gets Tampa Bay going, they get their goal to cut it to 2-1. to one. It changed the entire complexion of the game. And the Rangers, look, in the third period, they were not good enough. They were outclassed, outworked, beat. And the only reason they weren't blown out in that third period is because of Igor Shesterkin. In five-on-five, the Rangers were not good enough today. As good as their power play is, and it is electric, it is the best Ranger power play that I can remember in a long, long time. And the Rangers, when they were going to playoffs five, six years ago, those Lundqvist teams, they stunk on the power play. They couldn't score a power play goal if their life depended on it. This team is really good on the power play. But you can't give a talented team like Tampa Bay all of those chances. And I don't want to hear about the officiating today. Please, I don't want to hear it. Troop has got to be smarter. And he ended up in the penalty box way too many times. That, to me, was the number one bugaboo for why the Rangers ended up losing this game today. Way too many ill-advised mistakes. Self-inflicted wounds. Can't do it. Then the goal by Pallad at the end, you tip your cap. Beautiful move. Beautiful setup. Beats Igor Shesterkin. So now Tampa Bay, down 2-1 to one in this series. If you were a realistic Ranger fan, you would have signed on the dotted line for a split. You still have an opportunity to go and get that split on Tuesday. That's the mindset now if you're Gerard Gallant and company. For me, it's pretty simple. You got to figure out what went wrong in that third period, playing a lot of five-on-five. And for the most part, the five-on-five favored the 10th Bay Lightning every which way in this game. The other thing you got to figure out from what I saw today, is how to stay out of the penalty box. Point blank, case closed, how do you stay out of the penalty box? Right those wrongs, come out firing. We know the Rangers have been a very resilient group throughout this postseason. But this was a tough one today because you had 2-0, 3-0 lead, all there for the taking. So it slipped right through your fingertips. That hurts. That's going to bother you. Because it was there. Tampa is going to be heard from. You got to be ready for another counterpunch. And the amazing thing is the Rangers came out and scored the first two goals. So they got a little bit of a taste of their own medicine going back to the Pittsburgh series where Pittsburgh would get off to these early leads and you see the Rangers come storming back. So we got ourselves a series. That's what it boils down to. It's not going to be easy. Tampa's too good. You should have respect for what Tampa has accomplished over the last couple of years. The Rangers can win this thing. They can play with these guys. They got to clean it up. Way too sloppy and not good enough in the third period across the board. Now, how about the New York Mets? And normally, after a weekend of baseball, you're not necessarily like celebrating the idea of a four-game split. In this case, bullshit. You celebrate the fact that you split these four games with the Los Angeles Dodgers. The way you lost on Thursday, didn't score any runs. Then you lose on Friday night. Offense completely shut down, and you are staring at Walker Bueller and Julio Urias right in the face. To go and win these games, major, major gut check. Saturday was about the offense, Alonzo and Lindor hitting bombs going nuts. And on Sunday, the Mets once again 
showed you major stones and major resiliency. Think about the Mets down two to nothing in this game. They come fighting back. They tie it up. They have great at bats. They go and take the lead. Get the big insurance run from Tomas Nito. You're giddy at 4-2. Buck makes a move that caught me off guard, and I loved it. He said, they're sending up Trey Turner and, and Betts and Freddie Freeman. We're putting our best reliever right here, right now in this game. And Edwin Diaz. It worked out in the eighth inning. Diaz was fantastic. They go one, two, three. Unfortunately, Seth Luga doesn't do the job in the bottom half of the ninth inning. Could you make the argument that Buck could have pushed Edwin Diaz? Yeah, but then you're playing all these games in San Diego. You compromise your bullpen. Bottom line is this. Lugo's got to get some outs. Seth Lugo has a job to do. Failed to do his job. He's got to get the bottom of the Los Angeles Dodger lineup out. He was unable to do so. And it kind of highlights what is going to be something we talk about from a Mets perspective quite a bit over the next few weeks. How did they get better in the bullpen? Because Lugo is not the same guy he was in 2019. I don't care if you pitch well this weekend. You're never in a million years going to trust out of Is it Drew Smith? Is it Chase and Shreve? Like the Mets need a bullpen arm or two. And they are going to get one between now and July 31st. But that was almost highlighted in a way with the ninth inning Lugo meltdown. But you know what? You found a way to win the game. You get the big double in the top half of the 10th inning. And then Medina comes in and actually does an unbelievable job and gets some of the big hitters out of the Los Angeles Dodgers. That is big boy type stuff. To get a split without DeGrom, without Scherzer, and losing the first two games, it speaks volumes about the sort of culture that Buck Showalter has instilled within the New York Mets. They never say die. They always have good at bats. It's a different guy coming through every night. Today it was J.D. Davis. Medina. It's been a story of the Mets season. And there's a whole lot to like. On the flip side, there's a whole lot to love about you what you're seeing with the New York Yankees because the Yankees continue to be a runaway freight train. They have a perfect six and a homestand. I understand the Anaheim Angels are in a massive funk. And I'm well aware of the fact that the Detroit Tigers are not any good. They're kicking the baseball around. They're not scoring any runs. They have not played good ball. But you don't apologize for that. And for the Yankees to go, Garrett Cole on Friday, near perfect game. Severino on Saturday, dominant performance, double-digit strikeouts, looking like the Seve of 17 and 18, except for the fact they look better than the Seve of 17 and 18. And then to follow that up with Montgomery, I mean, the Yankees starting pitching one through five has been as good as anybody's in baseball. And I love that on Sunday, they found a way to win a game a different way. It's Anthony Rizzo and his base running. It's Josh Donaldson with a game-winning sack flight. Hey, even Joey Gallo, for goodness sakes, came through and hit a home run. Now, Joey Gallo also came up in a big spot and failed miserably. He's a stiff. He shouldn't be on this team. But the Yankees have everything cooked. Last year, think about how joyless the first three to four months were of the season. Compare that to what you are watching right now. And in many ways, it puts a whole lot of things into perspective. So the Yankee train keeps rolling. They go to Minnesota, which is a team they absolutely own. So I'm looking forward to that. The Gary Sanchez, Joe Urshela reunion. Cubs for three. And then Tampa Bay. 
next week, and we'll be at Yankee Stadium for one of those games. That is a guarantee. Um, one other note from a Yankee perspective. And Duhard, demanding a trade, not surprised. He's probably seeing Joey Gallo and Aaron Hicks in the lineup every day, and he's saying, hold on a second. Well, I'm better than these guys. The problem is the Yankees are not cutting bait on Gallo yet. They should at some point, but they're not going to do it yet. They're going to give Joey Gallo, I bet, at least another three to four weeks before he gets DFA'd or traded to the National League. It should happen. It makes too much sense for both sides. The Yankees got to cut bait. But Andujar, righty, on a team that has a whole lot of righties, and he has options. A guy like Matt Carpenter does not. They're going to keep Matt Carpenter over Miguel Andujar. So I feel his pain. He should be playing somewhere. You look around Major League Baseball, you see some of the guys the Detroit Tigers are running out there? I understand why Miguel Andujar thinks he should be playing. We got a loaded show. So we'll get to your voicemails in a little bit. But when we have the great Joel Sherman on, it's always a treat. He's the best baseball columnist in America. He's fabulous. MLB Network, New York Post. We'll run the gauntlet with Joel, then voicemails. Coming up next. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and empower what's next. Start today at empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. Let's welcome in, in my opinion, the best baseball columnist in town. I think he's the best baseball columnist in America. Joel Sherman, New York Post, MLB Network. Joel, last year when I had you on the show, I was down and out about the state of my New York Yankees. I think it's fair to say I'm going to be singing a much different tune today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for the nice introduction. Um, Let me get to the Yankees right out of the gate here. Because last year, you and I had a specific conversation about Brian Cashman looking to win individual moves, which he had done plenty of times over the last few years. But the overall process wasn't working. They weren't winning divisions. They weren't playing a clean, crisp, brand of baseball. This year, everything has been different. They've played a soft schedule, but when they've played good teams, they've played well against good teams. You're around baseball all the time. You see the evolving state of baseball. Did the Yankee process change, or is it a matter of good fortune and good luck, this start that they're off to? No, JJ, they they changed. Uh, I think the uh, analogy I used last year, and I used it a bunch in the post and on the network as well, was the Yankees are great at shopping for paint and terrible at painting. Uh, they they were good at purchasing stuff that that worked in each individual move, but it didn't create a good mosaic. Uh, they were overly right-handed. They weren't athletic. They weren't good on defense. Uh, they didn't have a, a deep, talented rotation, and so. It all made sense individually, but it didn't make sense largely. And I think that the Yankees began to appreciate this after stubbornly following what I think Brian Cashman would describe as, you know, like big hairy monsters, right? That's what he called them. It's what he always wanted. He recognized, I do have to not just worry about winning the trade. We got to get more left-handed. We have to get better on defense. Now, historically, uh, the Gallo trade, which I panned in the moment, I didn't. I thought they were trading for the left-handed Gary Sanchez. It turns out he might be worse than that. But um, the, he is left-handed. He is athletic. He should be good on defense. The same with Anthony Rizzo. So as much as they could kind of begin to do last year, they did. 
And then to me, they got very Tampa Bay Ray this offseason. And I thought it was the right thing to do, which was, you know, the drama and the trauma around Gary Sanchez just wasn't good. Like, I do think Gary uh, was misunderstood to some degree. I do think his body language always worked against him. I think he really did care about trying to be a good catcher. He just couldn't do it. And his offense was very roller coastery, as you know, because uh, you follow the team, JJ. And they just had to get out of the drama and trauma that the better teams understood how central catching is to run prevention. And the trade for, you know, first Ben Rothford and then uh, for Jose Trevino, who's been a godsend for them. And having Higashioka, people, I had somebody last week go, they're not getting any offense out of it before Trevino went on a little bit of a run. And I go, have you noticed that the Astros re-signed Martin Maldonado every year and he might be the worst offensive player in the whole sport? Because it's the job of the other eight guys to hit when you have a defensive catcher at a high level. And they also went and get Isaiah kind of Falefa, who's not going to win a gold glove, but is better at shortstop than Gleyber Torres. And more importantly, moves Gleyber Torres back to second, where he is a good defender and his offense is perked up. So the painting became better, right? Like they just became a better, more functional team. The defense is better. They're more athletic. They're a little more left-handed. And look, I don't know that anyone saw the impact of this rotation coming but it's been the best rotation in the sport this year. It's been a ton of fun to watch. And I loved what I saw from this to Cortez last year, Joel. He was fantastic. To be honest, I don't think the Yankees make the playoffs last year without Nesta Cortez. But I remember Aaron Small and I remember Sean Chacon and going into the year. Yeah, I had to wonder, is this a fluke or is this legitimate? I wanted to see him start in the rotation. I felt like he earned that. But you've been covering baseball in New York for forever. Have you ever seen anything like this? No, I mean, the comparison would be to Aaron Small, except for that it's had sequel now. the He's been excellent this year as well, as good as the Yankees have. Again, I'll give you an analogy I've made in print, uh, uh, JJ, which is he reminds me of two former Yankees. One is Jimmy King, kind of very athletic left-hander. He doesn't have Key's great curveball, but... He's athletic. And if you watch him pitch like he, he never misses by a lot. Like he, there is purpose to every pitch. And like he, he's kind of fearless. Like he doesn't have a big fastball, but he could pitch inside and he goes inside for strikes and not just to move guys off the plate. The other guy he reminds me of is Orlando Hernandez. Again, fearless, moxie, creative. And those two guys, I mean, were two of the best pitchers of the, you know, this great 30-year run by the Yankees, but also two guys you believe you could hand the ball to in any big spot, and they wouldn't blink. And the more and more Cortez does this, the more and more he gives off that whiff as well, which is fearlessness. And as we see, to play in general in the sport, you better be fearless. But I think to do it in New York and for the Yankees, there's got to be a level of that. And it seems that Cortez has that and then some. I'm glad that you mentioned big spot because the two lefties they brought in last year, one of them continues to thrive in every big spot known to men, and that's Anthony Rizzo. I don't care if he's sitting 215, Joel. Like, game on the line, like Thursday against the Angels, I know I'm getting a good at bat. I know he's going to grind it out. He's going to foul off some pitches. He can hit a left-hander. He's not going to be overwhelmed by the moment. His defense is exemplary. He's fit the team perfectly. He's probably one of the leaders on the team. Then on the other hand, it's Gallo. And you nailed it earlier. He's worse than Gary Sanchez. Let's be honest. I know he homered in Sunday's game. 
The confidence is not there. They're trying to move him the right field to get him going. Do you see Joey Gallo as the Yankee pitching version of Sonny Gray? I actually think it's insulting in some ways to Sonny Gray because he's better than Joey Gallo. But do you see that as like Gallo being a guy? And you wrote about this where he's 20 and 10 empty statistics on like a bad Sacramento Kings team. Like, I think Gallo could go somewhere and hit 30 home runs. Joe, in big spots and big situations, I don't want him anywhere near the point for the Yankees. Yeah, so, you know, you you use two analogies I use. I started writing last year that he was the hitting Sonny Gray. And as you know, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I was a big Nick fan. And I remember they got Spencer Haywood. And I was like, wow, they got Spencer Haywood. And then I was like, oh, nothing Spencer Haywood does has anything to do with actually winning a basketball game. But he's talented enough to get 20 points and 10 rebounds. And so, uh, you know, you put Joey Gallo in a bad situation. I think he'll produce. And I think it's really like that on all sides of the ball. I think his defense gets worse under pressure. And his offense, clearly under pressure, is, is bad. And I think that to some degree... We're seeing with Gallo kind of a stubbornness that the Yankees began, that we began this interview with JJ, like they began to shake out of it a little midway through last year, in part by getting Gallo. And I think now they're so determined and they're probably feeling the pressure. Three of the four guys they traded for Gallo are now up on the Texas Ranger roster. um, And they're probably feeling like they got to get something out of him. But at this point, if they're able to trade him to say San Diego, the AJ Prello was the gen, uh, was the assistant general manager in Texas when he was drafted. He's been a longtime admirer of the player. They're not going to get anything for him, but it's going to begin the chain where they end up with like trading for Kansas City for Andrew Benintendi, which a guy would be that, perfect, Joel. He, he fit the team like a glove. Seventh in the lineup, he can play left field. He could put the. We know from Boston he could play big games. You know, this uh, playing big games in baseball is tough. Playing them in New York are tougher. One of the problems when you got Joey Gallo was, I believe his first game last year was July 30th of last year. It was literally the biggest game he had ever played on July 30th. You know, he had never played an important game in Texas. And when you don't play important games, when you're playing a bunch of 6-2 games, you lose. Nothing you do in the game matters. But the Yankees are going to play important games. A lot of them are going to be 4-3, 5-4, that kind of thing. And the ability to move a runner over really does matter. Like the macro numbers that produce war don't matter in September and October when it's four to three and you've got to get the ball in play and you have to score the runner from third with less than two outs. And I think we've seen Joey Gallo is not going to hit good pitching, the best playoff pitching at big moments. And if the Yankees keep running into that wall, I think it's a mistake. You covered Buck Showalter when he was managing the New York Yankees way back when in 1994, 1995, when I'm getting into the team, for goodness sakes. And I was so angry, Joel, about the fact that he was not given another opportunity after Baltimore. I was begging teams to go and hire him. So when the Mets came a calling last year, I said, this is the perfect guy. They had an inexperienced manager in Mickey, then an inexperienced manager in Louis Rojas. They needed somebody to come in there and command respect and lead And don't you get the sense that, like, his imprints on the team, like this game today, Lugo blows in the ninth inning. They get right off the mat. They're chippy. They're spunky. They get big hits in big situations. Guys like McNeil are back to being themselves. Like, having, like, an old-school baseball lifer who understands the data and, like, can kind of, like, mesh it all into one, it's a thing of beauty watching Buck show off to run a baseball team, Joe. 
So like, we'll play the old game because you brought it up. I'll, I'll t- do two things. Do you know what the eye in the sky was in baseball? I do not know. I, I believe George Steinbrenner created it, who was a football coach. Uh, he wanted somebody. Was in, this somebody with the Yankees watching over basically at all times? In the press box, okay. would be on a headset. And they actually made it illegal because then you couldn't have electronics communication. The only reason I bring it up is in 1990, Buck Walter's original job with the 1990 Yankees, I was on my second year covering the beat, the second of my seven years covering the beat. He was the eye in the sky. And then Bucky Dent was fired. Stump Merrill was hired. He was made the third base coach. And then he was made the manager. And just again, to bring this full circle, he had a press conference in 1992 uh, to be named Yankee manager. He was the youngest manager in the sport at that point at 35. He had another one 30 years later in 2022. There was only one person who asked the question at both press conferences. Raise your hand if you were that guy. Uh, So, yeah, uh, I've known him for a long time. I admire him. Look, I'll even give you a little thing from today because you're talking about the ability to take information and grow. I mentioned he was the youngest manager at some point at 35. He's now 65, right? Today, he used Edwin Diaz in the eighth inning against the top of the lineup with the Dodgers. It's just a smart thing to do, even if Lugo blew the game in the ninth. The, the save in today's game was against the three. I mean, three Freddie the Freeman, Trey before. Turner, and Mookie Betts. Thousand right. so, percent. So like the idea that Buck Showalter didn't say, this is how I'm managing because I always manage it, that he's still willing to change. It says something. And JJ, I would say this is there's been this thing over the money ball period of the sport where it's like, oh, any cardboard c- cutout can manage a team. And I would dare say that you might get information that traditional managers, the Whitey Herzogs, Earl Weavers, were guys who created the lineup from whole, from their gut, from their belief system, et cetera. Now you get all kinds of help, but you have to know so much more about so many more things and deal with a group of young players who are all on social media and have like diaper rash about it. Like they're so much more sensitive than they've ever been. And the ability to do that and lead and make the team pull in one direction, I I think it's clear he's having a tremendous impact on this team because Mickey Calloway, quite frankly, was a clown. And Luis Rojas is a terrific young baseball person, but really probably needed to start in a place like Kansas City, get his feet wet. It was hard to be dropped in on this. Plus, there was a lot of front office dynamics that didn't work to his benefit. Uh, Having a guy who the like the two pitchers sitting on the end of the bench aren't sitting and hitting each other going, what is this idiot doing? That doesn't exist anymore with the Mets. Like Buck Walter is ultra prepared and you might disagree with him. I've disagreed with him a lot over 30 plus years, but you never go to Buck Walter and say, why did you play the infield in? Or why did you pinch run there? And he doesn't have 10 reasons why he did it. And so then if you're, I think doing my job well, you just go, got it. You've thought about it. You've got a reason, like ultimately a lot of these decisions are 52-48, not 90-10. And you've had a lot of reasons for this. Buck Walter always has a lot of reasons for what he does. No doubt about it. And you think about losing DeGrom and losing Scherzer in prior Met years, Joel, this comes support. You know, this is a nightmare. This is the Mets going out on the West Coast and losing nine out of 10 games. Like we've seen that strip year after year. And like this Dodgers series, the Dodgers are the class of baseball. The Dodgers are Vegas favorites to go to win the World Series. Now the Dodgers didn't pitch great the last two days. I understand that. Mets not having DeGrom and not having Max Scherzer and still finding a way to split. That tells me something about the fabric and the character of that team. Yeah, and not not having Tyler McGill. 
uh, who was doing such a good job of Jacob DeGrom, right? Like he was replacing DeGrom in the rotation. So uh, Scherzer was injured on May 18th. Um, so his injured list stint began on May 19th. I believe at that point, the Mets had a seven-game lead, uh, JJ. And I think historically, and just knowing the quality of the three starting pitchers who no one expected to be around for quite a while, right? Like, then where would the Mets sign up to get even all three back fully healthy August 1st? Like, like at this point, you know, McGill will come back earlier than that, but I'm just saying to have all of them going. And so, you know, you're in the NCAA tournament survive in advance mode, right? Like, let's just get through this. Well, the Mets have actually built their lead. Uh, in the three weeks since that happened. Uh, and some of that is a reflection that they were playing uh, the Joe Girardi Phillies and the Nationals. And But, you know, good teams beat up on bad teams. That's the, the way sports work, uh, certainly the way this sport worked, and they did it. And I think going to Dodger Stadium and losing those first two games and coming back and winning, regardless of what the pitching was, I mean, one of the starting pitchers was Walker Bueller and the other was Julio Arias. Those are their two best starters while Kershaw is out, maybe even when Kershaw starts. So they won those games. Last year, their season fell apart when they went to the West Coast. Uh, they, they played a home and home against the Dodgers and Giants, about a two-week stretch, and they just got blown out in that and their season was over. You know, they've got to now go to San Diego. They've got to play the Angels who are playing terribly as we speak. And I just believe in this team a lot more. Part of it is the manager, which you said. But the Mets have a lot of good players. They really had a great offseason. They, they, eliminating the manager, just on players, they went five for five. Scherzer is excellent. Kana is excellent. Marte is, you know, excellent. Eduardo Escobar has helped them. I know people will look at a batting average or something, but he's a real pro, as you saw. He had a key RBI today with a great at-bat, and Chris Bassett has really helped him. It's a lot. Five for five, that's 20% of your team. To do that in the offseason, it's just deepened it. You mentioned the name before. Suddenly, Jeff McNeil's playing better. Brandon Nimmo's playing at an all-star level. Pete Alonso is like Aaron Judge. He's not just a good home run hitter. He's a good hitter who hits home runs. I mean, I'm up to 10 guys now. Carlos Carrasco's bounced back healthy. A lot of value, JJ, to me is when do you have success? I don't know if 30 at 35, if Carlos Carrasco could last this season, but they need him to be really good right now. And you know what? He's really good right now. They have a lot of good players, and that's why they're surviving it. Plus, they have a manager who knows how to manage those players. They nailed the offseason. You know they're going to be active at the July 31st trade deadline with that owner. He wants to win. He wants to win at all costs. Bigger need for them, bullpen arm outside of Diaz or getting another bat for the lineup? I think the answer is yes uh, to that, JJ. As I mean, with Cohen, it might be all of the above. I understand I, I, that. I, look, they, they, I know you, you have a gambling soul, so I'll say it is, I mean, they're all in, right? They've got almost a $300 million payroll. Uh, they've now shown over the first third of the season that they're a real team. Like if we were making a list of the six, seven, eight teams we think could win the World Series. I might put the Mets third or fourth on that list, to be honest with you, Joe, I might. The key thing is they're on the list. And once you're on the list and you're you're all in, right, then there's no sense in stopping. So I think they will get an A and maybe more than a reliever. Uh, and I think they'll get another bat. Uh, you know, I I think one of the bad things that happened to the Mets recently is just how bad the Angels played. And 
it brought the Red Sox all the way back. The no, Red J.D. Sox. Martinez. I was speculating yeah. J.D. Martinez for Dom Smith. Dom Smith could go yeah. hit 50 doubles in Boston, you know? that's the that, that was the guy to me that fit the team, and the Red Sox are going to be in it now. Like, they're they're playing better. The third wild card in the American League will probably play at 85, 86. These Red Sox are fully capable of getting there or better. And, you know, like, it's harder now to find the bat that you want but they'll get one. They'll get at least one reliever because this is who they are now. They're, 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 not, they're not the other team in town. They are very much like the Yankees these days. They are brick on the gas pedal moving straight ahead. And I think that's going to make for some compelling drama. You know, Joel, there haven't been many instances where you can envision a Subway Series. And look, a lot has to happen. The Yankees haven't gone to a World Series since 2009. The Mets have to go through a bunch of rounds in the postseason. I get it. It's difficult. 2000, it happened. 99, you fantasized about it. I thought we were going to get it in 2006. Yankee pitching didn't hold up. Kenny Rogers happened, the whole deal. But the Subway Series, which has kind of been dead the last couple of years, last year was kind of fun because of the significance, honoring 9-11 and whatnot. But those games, Joel, in the regular season, they're going to be Awesome around here with Cohen's presence, the star power, you name it. Yankees, Mets, uh, sign me up right now. Let's go. Yeah, you know, baseball's good in this town now. You know, I probably watch pretty much every out of both teams uh, every day uh, in some form or fashion. And they're, they're good teams, JJ, at a time, unfortunately, where there's so many bad teams. A lot of bad teams, in, that's true. In the sport. And there's just days... Like, you know, the Yankees played the Tigers today. It's probably they, they, they swept the homestand here and it might have been their worst game today. And it just felt like a college football game, like a homecoming game for Oklahoma. Someone like where you have a patsy where it's like no matter what happens, Detroit is not going to win this game. Baseball's not supposed to be like that, where you just feel like one team can't win a game. And no matter what the Yankees did or the Tigers did to try to win that game, the Tigers just couldn't win the game. Uh, and in the end, the Yankees won it. I think there's a lot of that on everyone's schedule. I will say this about the Yankees' schedule. I noticed this today, JJ. Starting in about a week or so, they play Tampa Bay. At that point, one out of every three of their games for the last three months of the season are against Tampa Bay of Boston. So they've got a That's ton of taking games. it up in competition there, Joel. And the Red Sox yeah. are playing better. And and it's the Red Sox. Like they're gonna, you know, the games and the Yankees got to show me they can beat them, Joel. I know they beat them in the regular season, but Cora has had Boone's number in these big games, too. That's something and, to take into account. And and look, you know, like what do you do about this? It is what it is, but the Yankees have five starting pitchers on pace to start 30 games this year. It's Hasn't happened since 2012 in the majors. The last time the Yankees did it was 2009, where they had five starters make 30 starts. Pretty good year for the Yankees. They won the World Series that year. But will this group stay healthy? If it doesn't, what's the next guy? Is that Clark Schmidt? Do you have to rob Peter to pay Paul by putting Michael King in the rotation? So, like, right now, it's excellent a third of the way through the season. All of them have made, all five guys have made at least 10 starts. They're all, I mean, Jordan Montgomery's the weak link with about a three ERA uh, in it. Uh, you can't just say, well, we're going to pull back. You keep going forward. But, you know, like at some point, there's going to be some rain on that parade. And I'm curious how they handle everything when that occurs. Two quickies. First, 
I'm watching a game today at 1130 in the morning. And this idea was brought up by Dave Lennon over at Newsday. I saw the tweet. I retweeted it. I'm not taking credit for the idea, but it inspired me. What can I say? Sundays in September, the NFL is king. You know it. I know it. It's Sunday for 11 straight hours. It's king. And I love baseball. It's my first love, Joel. But one o'clock, if the Yankees are seven games up in first place, so the Mets are you know comfortably ahead, it's like, all right, the football is going to take priority. Is there any way you could see baseball over the next five to 10 years? Say, you know what? Sundays, we're going to play our games at on the East Coast at 10 o'clock in the morning. Any chance the Players Association would sign off on that? So I think one of the things we've seen with baseball is if you show up with something green, they do it, right? Like, uh, uh, I'll give you a quick story. I don't know if this will interest you because I know, obviously, you do New York sports show. So I literally hadn't been to a bar in New York since the pandemic began. And I was uh, watching the second game of the Yankee doubleheader on Friday night. And you could feel the crowd through the, through the television, which is not a common occurrence, especially in the new stadium. In the old stadium, you could feel it. Oh, it was rocking. The tie-on right. game, no doubt about it. I felt you, it too. You could feel it. Plus, you know, again, I'm not a giant hockey fan, but it's hard to ignore what's going on with the Rangers in town. So I said to a friend of mine, let's go to a bar tonight. I want to see if the Yankees are a thing. I want to see if the Rangers are a thing. Like, are there people going to bar, like this, like bars in New York specifically? Like, yeah, let's go. We'll have a couple of drinks and we'll watch the game. And I get to the place and the game is on Apple and the Yankee game isn't on the television in the bar. And I'm just like, now I know on one hand that check means something to the sport, but what are you losing by not having the game accessible to everybody? Uh, in that way, maybe this is the future and I just have to get rid of, uh, used to it, JJ. I'm an older guy and I've had to learn a lot of new tricks over the last 10, 15, 20 years, but that was really something to go and think like, oh, I'm going to go watch a Yankee game at a bar on a Friday night in New York city in June, which is a given. And like the bartender looked at me like I was nuts, which is not uncommon, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a different experience, but look, the NFL is king. Nobody wants to compete against them uh, for television eyes. Uh, baseball should probably do as much as they can to run away from it. I would agree. All right, final one. You covered Girardi as a player. You covered Girardi as a manager. The Philly situation, I thought he was going to thrive there. They built the beer league softball team. So I wasn't surprised that this year kind of played out the way that it did. But knowing Joe the way you know Joe, do you think he manages ever again? It's a good question, JJ. I always felt Buck would. Um, Joe, Joe's not an easy person to like. It seems to me like TV network executives like Joe. Yeah, he's good know? on TV. He's you really know, good on uh, TV. Yes, they like roll over to do it. But like at some point, you need uh, somebody in charge to really believe in you and want to have you. You know, I, and, and I'm not sure that they'll be the next guy for him. He's clearly intelligent. He's clearly a very good baseball guy. He's clearly a hard worker. But we were talking about like, I I mean, there's a million reasons I shouldn't manage a major league baseball team, but my ability to do well with modernity is probably part of it. And do I would I have connection to a bunch of 20-somethings in a way that I need to have a connection? And Joe Girardi is square as you can be. Um, 
I think he probably has very, very narrow guardrails about what he likes in life and what he doesn't. And I'm not sure that he easily connects. And when I was talking before about how I think the managing job is more important than ever, that's the area it's most important now. X's and O's, nobody's going to be Joe Girardi. Just willing to work 18 hours a day, Joe Girardi's fine. Like smart, legit Northwestern guy, but connection, I'm not sure about it. But I also believe, agree with you, JJ. He was given a, you know, I'll do this poker analogy again. He get a bad hand. You know, he was drawing to. I wasn't going to say a two-seven offsuit, but he was given he was given five-eight offsuit. Not great. And, and, and by the way, it was like like it, the Phillies got to pick their cards this offseason and pick two two more cards that didn't fit their hand. Uh, you know, they doubled down by getting worse on defense with Castellanos and Schwarber. I'm not exactly sure why they would even do one. The fact that they did both instead of diversifying, you know, deeper bullpen, deeper bench with some athletes on it who could defend you know, really dominate the quadruple A market so that when you reach down there, you don't keep bringing up guys who can't play, which has been a problem for them in the last few years because their farm system's been so bad. So, you know, look, they, they've won three games in a row as we speak under Rob Thompson. I think anybody who knows Rob Thompson, and I've known Rob for over 20 years, is rooting for him. He's really a wonderful guy. But I'm not exactly sure how that team plays well enough, long enough, the way they're constituted. When you're bad on defense and you're bad out of the bullpen, your manager looks bad because the ball's going to be booted all around. There's going to be extra outs. Your starter's going to have to be pulled from games early, throwing extra pitches because of the defense. And now you're bringing in the worst part of your team, your bullpen, because of it. I just think managers don't outrun it. Um, I think we're all hoping for good things for Rob Thompson, if you know him, because we all like him. But that's a rough club in a rough town. Joel? Thanks so much for doing this. We'll be reading New York Post, MLB Network. You are in the podcast game now, which I am listening to. I enjoyed very much with John Heyman. So the show, amid- the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman, you know, you, I love the ringer, but you got to jump over someplace hey, else. Hey, listen, that's the beauty of podcasts. You can yeah. share the wealth. You know, you can yeah. listen like me to like 10 zillion podcasts when you can't sleep at three o'clock in the morning. Continued success. And we'll work on that New York City bar tab. Uh, to maybe get Apple TV the next time the Yankees and the Mets are playing. I think the Mets are actually there Friday night, FYI. I'll know not to go this time. There you go. Early happy hour. Thanks, Joel. All right, JJ. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day. I like the joggers. I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Oh, uh, it's always fun having Joel Sherman on. And listen, the perspective is through the roof. I mean, the guy basically started covering the Buck show off the Yankees in the early 90s. And now is has been a staple of my baseball reading for years. So anytime we have him on the pod, ton of fun. All right, voicemails. Let's get him. 917-382-1151. Steph, let's go. Hey, JJ. Eric down in Florida. Just finished watching that heartbreaker. 42 seconds left. And it just summed up a third period where 
The Rangers, for the first time in the playoffs, really looked like they didn't know how to finish a game. That third period is one of the worst I've seen them play in a hot minute. Even going back to that Pittsburgh, just playing with the lead, seemed like they didn't know how to do it and how to put that game away. That penalty after they went up 2-0 was awful. The Vetrano penalty, stupid. There was nowhere else for him to go when he made that move besides into the net. And then fucking Jacob Truba. It's either all or nothing with him. It's either a great game or his physical doing a lot. He does a lot of good, but he takes some bonehead penalties. And today was one of those examples. As soon as he got that minor, and when the Rangers were on double minor on that power play, he ended that chance in the dynamic. Well, the dynamic changed earlier, but he put a squat, a kibosh on what was left of that opportunity there. And then even when they pulled the goalie, they couldn't hold the zone. There was nothing crisp about the puck movement. Everyone was sloppy in that third. And it, it gives Tampa all the momentum they need to even the series up on Tuesday. It's going to be a big game. Shesterkin played well, but he gave up a couple soft goals. Uh, it, this, as a Ranger fan, I, I was I was getting greedy. I was I was seeing three zero in the series when we were up two zero in the game, and oh, that one hurts. That one hurts to lose it in that fashion. We'll see how they rebound on Tuesday, but uh, fortunately, uh, if it goes how I have a feeling, we're probably gonna well at least we come back to the Garden for home ice here for two more still uh, throughout the rest before we have to go back to Tampa. But oh, that one hurt. That one hurt, JJ. Take it easy. Cool. It is a tough loss for the Rangers. Anytime you have a 2 nothing lead and you're smelling blood and you're smelling an opportunity to go up 3-0 in a series and you let that slip away, it's going to bother you because you wonder if this is a potential momentum shifter in this particular series. Game four will determine that. Momentum only goes as far as the next game in a series. I don't have a problem at all with the way Igor Shesterkin played. That was not the issue for the Rangers. They have five on five, killed them in the third period, and you nailed it about Truba. Truba killed the Rangers today. He's got to stay out of the box. He's got to stay out of the box. I mean, because his penalties, boom, set up Tampa Bay goals. Can't have it. Can't happen. Don't blame the officials. That's on Truba. We'll see how the Rangers respond. Who's next? Hey, John. It's Jake from Charlotte. That was a colossal, huge, whatever you want to call it, uh, win for the Mets today against the Dodgers to end up splitting that series. Um, Lugo choked away in the ninth. Um, but J.D. Davis came through with a big hit, and uh, that Medina kid showed uh, upset brass balls <laughs> to get get that save. And uh, as Justin Herbert said against the Raiders in Weeks uh, 18, I never wanted to tie so bad. Well, I got a tie, and I'm very happy about that. So um, very happy the Mets were able to split that series and uh, move on to the Padres. Hopefully uh, they can end up winning that one and um, keep their winning ways going. And uh, just one more comment about the Rangers. Uh, tough loss today, but um, definitely think, think they'll come back stronger on Tuesday and uh, possibly end up um, closing the series out at home on Thursday. So uh, go Rangers, go Mets, and uh, have a good week, man. All right, then. Bye. Totally agree, Jake. Monster, monster, monster win for the Mets. The difference between splitting the series and losing three out of four I know it doesn't sound like a big deal in the grand scheme of things, but you feel a lot better. You won the last two games. You beat Bueller up. You came back against the Dodger bullpen. You put together some unbelievable at-bats, and you responded after Lugo yucked it up in the ninth inning. I'm glad you didn't roast Buck. I like the move. I don't care if it didn't work out. I like the move. 
I supported the idea of going to Diaz with, with those three guys up, that's not new age. That's smart. It, it, it's just conventional wisdom. It's logic. It's just smart. The problem for the Mets is they need more trustworthy relievers. That's what it boils down to. But a hell of a job finding a way to get a split. All right, two to go. JJ, Justin, and Miami. Look, that's a tough loss. You hate, if you've watched the, the first two and a half, you know, quarters or games of this series, it's clear the Rangers are the better team. They're a deeper team, they're a faster team. But hockey's a weird sport, and, and you don't want to give a team like Tampa life, and that's what you did. I mean, look, game four is not a must win, right? I mean, they don't have to win a game on the road. The way they played at home, you'd be pretty confident they'd win the home games. But we know what kind of the Tampa formula is here. It's going to be scraped by a couple of home wins and then just let your goalie, who's done it plenty of times, steal a road win. And if you win these two games, if you win game four, you know what the, the storyline going into game five is. It's going to be did the Rangers let Tampa off the hook? You know, I can't say I'm super worried, but at the same time, you really, I really don't want to go back to two. I've set it up for Vasilevsky to kind of steal the series as it's been so many times over the last two and a half years. You know, and, and on the Yankees, you know, I don't want to say it's over. But, man, it, it's getting to the point where it's hard to see how they're not going to win this division. I mean, you're at, you're at 39 and 15. I mean, you get to – you go 62, you know, and, and 47, and you got 101 wins. That, that basically means, like that, – that's a significant step down, by the way. That means Tampa and Toronto almost have to play, like, 660 ball to catch you. So, it feels like this team's going to win the division. That's obviously not the ultimate goal. But I think – you really want to keep that foot on the gas because the home field is big. I don't want game six and seven this year of the ALCS in Houston. Got to be, let's get those games at home. All right, talk to you later, buddy. I think that is such an excellent point. The Yankees have not had a home field advantage throughout a postseason. Going all the way back, I want to say, to 2012. That was the year where they had home field advantage throughout. They didn't win, but they had home field advantage throughout. The last couple of times the Yankees been in the playoffs, They've either been a wild card team or they were a division winner in 19 and they didn't have a better record than the Astros. Yes, I want the Yankees with the best record in the American League this year. The first goal is winning the American League East and avoiding the best of three wild card, which the Yankees are in great, great shape to do as of right now at 39 and 15. Am I proclaiming a division over for them? No. They got too many games left with Tampa. They still have a bunch with Toronto and injuries can happen and things can happen. But look, Two plus months into the year, the Yankees have given you everything they could that you could possibly ask for. They're a joy to watch. They're playing baseball the right way. They're finding ways to win. It's a likable group. Hey, we gave Aaron Boone and Brian Cashman a lot of shit, and rightfully so. And I own it. I would not have retained a manager after last year. Got to give him credit, though. He's done a really good job with this team. I own it. See, I own it. Now, Boone's got to win in the playoffs. He's got to win. He's got to hold up that World Series trophy or that piece of what what they, uh, they call it? Manfred call it. Piece of metal, whatever that dopey terminology ended up using. That's what it's all about. But the Yankee brand trust deserves some love. All right, last voicemail. Let's hear it. JJ, it's Anthony in Syosset. Um, You know, I'm really upset about something, but I got to be honest. I'm calling you right now. I'm on the North Fork of Long Island. It's 645. The sun is setting. The birds are chirping. It's it, It's the golden hour out here. It's peaceful. So I can't raise my voice. But I just, you know, Gallo hits a home run today, right? I mean, Yankees are winning. Yankees are playing tremendous baseball. We are going to have to have a point in the middle of the summer where, you know, we, we you basically have a show dedicated to the trade deadline 
and, and figure out a way to just get this team prepped for the postseason. You know, the, the division by no way is over, but it's getting to a point where you know they're going to be playing serious October baseball and you need to build to your, to, you know, you need to build your weakness, I should say. But that's what I wanted to talk to you about. The guy hits a home run today. You're going to have to have Stefan or Charlie in Elmhurst or Jeff Money or somebody confirm this here. Maybe you can. I'm pretty sure that with that home run, I think the guy's got four RBIs in a month. I mean, dude, what the fuck are we doing here, dude? They send Andujar down? Are you fucking kidding me? For what? To put Hicks out there? To put to put Gallo out there? I, I understand the platooning. I understand Stanton's hurt. You want to ease him back in. But at some point, the nerds with their QuickBooks, their laptops, their statistician games, their analytics, whatever, you're going to just have to accept it. That Gallo may be a nice guy, but he just he does nothing for this team, dude. Even today, didn't he bobble a ball that like led to a run or something from the Tigers? I don't know. I was at the pool all day, but here's what I want. Can you just explain to me? Put yourself in the seat of these nerds in Cashman's office and explain to me the value of Joey Gallo on this Yankee team, which at this point now, you know, we're in June here. This, this is not a fluke. I don't want to hear about the schedule. And by the way, I don't want to hear about the Angels or Otani anymore either. I never want to hear about them. This is not a fluke. This is a good team. And it's a team that they're going to have to make better at the deadline. So explain to me where Joey Gallo fits in. Thank you, Jay. I appreciate it, Sayasid. The answer is he does not fit the Yankees. The Stat Geeks, they're taking a big fat L on this one. I know Joey Gallo homered in this game today. Well, guess what? He came up, bases loaded, chance to go and win the game. What's he do? He ends up striking out. He has less than 10 RBIs on the year. It is June the 5th. Let that sink in. There is no way the Yankees can sell to me and justify to me that come playoff time, he should be a part of their lineup. There's no way in the world that makes sense. It would be foolish to think that. And yes, Joel Sherman talked about it. I absolutely believe this is the case. Joey Gallo is empty statistics and it's Sonny Gray in the outfit. He can't handle being in New York. Some guys don't have it within their DNA. Joey Gallo doesn't have it within his DNA. He is not cut out to be a Yankee. The team feels bad for him. I think the players like him. They gave him the dopey chain of belt today. He's not cut out to be a Yankee. Simple as that. When we come back after what was an embarrassing performance last week, we get back on the trivia wagon with Larry. Just because you wrestle alligators for a living doesn't mean you should have the skin of one. Say goodbye to dry and cracked skin with Old Spice Super Hydration Body Wash with vitamin B3. Made for 24-7 renewing moisturization with daily use. With sense of vanilla and shea, people will think you've taken up candle making as one of your hobbies. And there is nothing wrong with that. Old Spice Super Hydration Body Wash. Shop Old Spice now. Trivia time. It was ugly last Sunday. I need a bounce back. I hope Larry took it easy on me. Let's hear it, buddy. Yeah, Jay, Larry in Florida. Okay, I got two of them for tonight. What active player has played in 520 straight games? And the second one is, who was the last Yankee pitcher to lead the American League in ERA? I'm out. Wow. Two doozies right there from Larry. 
520 straight games. The last Yankee pitcher to lead the league in ERA. You know, I think I know the answer to this question. Larry, I'm going to start there. Is it my pal, Yankee analyst, ESPN analyst, David Cohn? Oh, man. I was very confident about that answer, too. Very, very confident. It was not David Cohn. I thought maybe in like the 97 year, David Cohn had like a sub three RA and led the league in the ERA. All right, my next guess here, my next guess, Yankee pitcher to lead the league in ERA. I'm going with the 90s, 2000s teams. And if I'm wrong and I got to go further back, I got to go further back. Stefan, is it Mike Messina? Wow. Whiffing here. I'm taking one more guess at this because I'm going back. And I know Clemens is not the answer. Actually, actually, Stefan, there is a 90s pitcher I want to throw in here. Did Andy Pettit in 1997 lead the league in ERA? All right, it wasn't Pettit. So I was 0 for 3 on the guys from the Dynasty teams uh, putting up big monster numbers. They were great, but they didn't lead the league in ERA. So there's that. All right, I'm taking one more guess at this, and I'm waving the white flag. Stefan, is it the Gator? Ron Guidry. Wow. Who the hell was it? Rudy May. Oh, I would have never guessed that. You would have never guessed that oh, one. Never, I, I... never. Uh, Stefan, there are some trivia questions you feel bad about. That is not one. You could have given me 500 guesses. I was not pulling Rudy May out of my ass. So <laughs> th- let's just put it that way. There's, there's no way I was getting that. All right. Oh, Question good. number two. I mean, Larry. Jeez, bro. Jeez. 520. Straight games. Damn, you got to think about guys who are Ironmen and they play every single day. Manny Machado. I thought that was a good guess. I thought that was a good guess because he basically plays every single day. American or National League player, Stefan? This young man plays in the American League. Ooh, okay. American League player. Would it be Jose Ramirez of the Guardians? My goodness. All right, I'm taking one more guess, and then I am waving the white flag at trivia. My goodness. My trivia performance is just pathetic. Absolutely, positively pathetic. Um, My last guess. Last guess. And I don't feel good about this. Uh, I really don't. Don't feel good about this at all. Is it Whit Merrifield? I don't know where I got that one. Don't ask. Sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. I'll leave it at that. All right. From Larry in Florida and the trivia on a high note to our main man, Jeff Money. Money, the floor is yours. What are we looking at for the Western Conference Finals on Monday night? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper fix. It's going to be for tomorrow, Monday the 6th. Let's see if we keep uh, the money rolling. All right, I'm going to go with a little NHL action in the Western Conference for the first time I'm going to bet. I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers plus the 105 over the Colorado Avalanche. I think maybe they'll at least get one game, you know, not to get swept, at least get the one game there at home. So I'm going to go with the Edmonton Oilers plus the 105. All right, JJ, everyone can always follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. 
All right, Jeff Barney, good luck to you, pal. That is a game I'm not going anywhere near. Colorado's at minus 130. They've been money here in this Western Conference Finals. I am not going to do it. That is a hard, hard pass for me. Uh, you want to get on Edmonton, be my guest? I'm staying away from the game. Two things. Number one, love the 11:30 baseball game. I loved Benetti with the two analysts, one from the Yankees, our guy Flaherty. They had Jack Morris in there. This is something baseball should do more often for their big broadcasts. Great play-by-play guy, two analysts, one from each team. Peacock, pain in the ass, but Saruti hooked it up, so God bless him for that. Wanted to say that. Number two, baseball, and I mentioned this to Joel Sherman. I saw Dave Lennon tweet this. September games. They should play baseball games on the East Coast at 10 o'clock in the morning. Because on Sundays, 1 o'clock, my life revolves around the NFL. Sundays in September on the East Coast, the Yankees and Mets should play at 1 o'clock or at 10 o'clock. That way we can enjoy our football in peace. Who is going to fight me on that idea? The only people who are going to fight me on that idea are non-football fans, which are a few and far between. I'm starting that campaign. Dave Lennon had the idea. I'm running with it. 10 a.m. East Coast baseball in the month of September. Let's think about it, Major League Baseball. And at last but not least, I am sending my best to one of my best friends. Terrible, terrible accident the other day on the golf course. Terrible. I'm in a rush like an idiot. I pull away my golf cart without my buddy being in the cart. Falls, knocks his tooth out. Basically looked like Jeff Bookable. I mean, it made me absolutely sick. And it just goes to show you, folks, in life, don't rush. Don't rush because it's not worth it. Stupid shit happens when you rush. So I'm thinking of our guy, Mr. Riggio, hanging there. And uh, we're thinking of you. And we're working on something for your behalf. And I think it's fair to say that Bob Riggio now does not have to pay for a round of golf playing with me for a long, long time after my transgression behind the wheel. And I don't think... I'll be driving a golf cart anytime soon. So we're thinking of you, bud. I love you. Get that tooth fixed. I owe you. And I owe you big. Stefan, fabulous job. Hope everybody enjoys their week. What a weekend in New York sports. What a time to be alive. There's a lot happening in this city. Baseball's red hot. Even with this Ranger loss, they're up two to one in this series. There's a lot to like. JJ out. Enjoy your Monday. We'll be back Tuesday. Follow us. Spotify Live. Let's go on the Spotify app. Or Spotify Live if you want to call in and be a part of the show. We got a family. We want to grow that family. Get your asses in gear and get on it. And we'll be posting as a podcast on Tuesday night. Enjoy. Be good, everybody.